Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. We have a treat for you tonight. A researcher, author, academic Joseph P. Farrell is with us for the entire program. Uh, Joseph, of course, a recognized scholar whose credentials include a Ph.D. in philosophy from the University of Oxford. His, his literary contribution is a veritable resume unto itself, covering such fields as Nazi Germany, sacred literature, physics, uh, finances, the Giza pyramids, music theory. He's a renowned researcher with an eye to assimilate a tremendous amount of background material. And uh, Joseph is able to condense the best scholastic research and publication and draw insightful new conclusions on complex and controversial subjects. He's so prolific. I, I literally cannot keep up and provide you with an accurate list of all his books. But here's, a, here's but a small sampling. Uh, Nazi International, The Giza Death Star, The Giza Death Star Deployed, The Giza Death Star, sorry, The Giza Star Destroyed, The SS Brotherhood of the Bell, Reich of the Black Sun, The Cosmic War, Secrets of the Unified Field, Roswell and the Reich, The Nazi Connection, Genes, Giants, Monsters and Men, Babylon's Banksters, Transhumanism, A Grimoire of Alchemical Agendas, Thrice Great Hermetica and the Janus Age, The Third Way, Covert Wars and Breakaway Civilizations, Hidden Finance, those are but a few. Great pleasure to welcome Joseph back to the program. Hey, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Richard. Thanks for having me back, and, and congratulations on, on the partiers outside your window. More power <laughs> to them. <laughs> well, exactly. We need it. We need it, I tell you. It's been so long, Joseph. I've kind of lost the thread here. What are you working on recently? What have you been working on? Well, I just came out with a book uh, called The Tower of Babel Moment. Uh, it's a Lulu book on on the Tower of Babel story in, in ancient literature, not just not just the biblical version, but some of the other texts that mention it, and uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun book, but but not so much when you consider it with all the others. So that's basically we're up to thirty-seven books now with that one. So, wow, thirty-seven! My word, you're just writing and working around the clock. It sounds like, but so we appreciate your time. You're very generous with your time. We should also point out uh, the uh, the YouTube. News and views from the Nefarium, and of course they can uh, go to uh, GizaDeathStar.com, right? GizaDeathStar.com. Can they right. can they stream it from there, or do they have to go to YouTube? Uh, they can do either with the with the news and views. Uh, that's on YouTube, and it's also posted on my website. And then the members area stuff, of course, is just available on the website. All right, I want to um, talk about something that you've some blogs, uh, some recent postings on. GizaDeathStar.com, uh, and one of them has to do with something called genetically engineered magnetoproteins. And I think many of us have seen these YouTube videos or, or uh, videos on Instagram or where, wherever of people taking a magnet after they've received the vaccine and holding it up to their arm. And I mean, w what's happening here? People are saying that there's some magnetic property in these vaccines. Does that make any sense to you? Well, it does make sense to me, because if you go back about uh, right to the beginning of, the, of what I'm calling the planned scandemic, if you go back uh, to the arrest of, of Dr. Charles Lieber, the Harvard chemistry professor, 
he was involved with the Wuhan Virology Laboratory. But the interesting thing about Dr. Lieber is that he specialized in nanotechnology and, and delivery systems for drugs and so on and so forth. So that's a little clue that something's going on here. And then the other thing to note, I think, about these vaccines, particularly the, the messenger RNA vaccines, is that they have apparently employed some sort of nanotechnology. There's another article I blogged about uh, prior to the one that you mentioned that was from Johns Hopkins, where they took some nanotechnology and created a little delivery system of an unfolding pod. I don't know how else to describe it. It looks kind of like a very, very small artificial-looking flower bulb. And it, the petals, so to speak, on this thing open up, and that's what delivers the drug. But they will embed themselves into the cell tissue, into, your, into the tissue on the inside of your body, and then open up and deliver these drugs. Well, the interesting thing is a lot of these, these proteins have a kind of metallic basis to them. So I'm not surprised that some people claim to be, you know, magnetized where they've received the shot. But I've also heard stories, to be quite honest, Richard, that, that some of the uh, swab that they use, you know, to, to sterilize your skin before they give you an injection also contains uh, magnetic material. I don't know if that's true or not. But given what we've seen with how they've finagled with the numbers and everything else, how they've exempted the pharmacy companies from liability with these with these so-called vaccines, I wouldn't be a bit surprised that there's some sort of metallic content into these into these vaccines that they're delivering that could perhaps temporarily magnetize you. So you mentioned the um, these ingestible capsules, mm-hmm. uh, the you know customized to uh, deliver drugs. Uh, this is a, at MIT, I think. This this was yes. designed, or or uh, so, and they can be controlled. If I'm if I'm understanding this correctly, using Bluetooth wireless technology. So yeah, yeah. Like just leaving the the vaccine and the magneto properties aside for a moment, and just talking about these pills. What's what's the, what's the idea here that that someone a third party could control the release of the medication that's in your system? Right there. They have created these technologies, um, and I think if you if you do a search, there's even a similar patent out from from Bill Gates for these for these nanotechnology delivery systems that respond to certain frequencies. You know, like your your television remote control or your VCR remote control or whatever will have a specific frequency that only that particular VCR or television will respond to. So they can do this now with the nanotechnology. So they can send out a signal and cause these little pod things to open up and deliver their drugs. And who knows what else they, you know, what else they might be doing with this stuff. But yeah, I think that's possible. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah, what, I know. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. And you know, it's interesting that they, they are doing this at a time when they're rolling out 5G, you know, they're putting up all these transmission towers and so on. So we're looking, you know, we're looking, in my opinion, Richard, at a system where the plan scamdemic is being used really, I think, to implement something much broader because I think they're planning to tie this to a social credit system such as they have in communist China 
where you know we'll deliver your drugs, we'll we'll deliver your digital currency, but if you only if you behave yourselves. So you know they're they're setting up a literal uh, a literal beast system. I don't know what else to call it. That's what my friend Catherine right. Pitts calls it, and I think she's pretty correct on that. Right. It certainly sounds all the world like that. It's 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 quite chilling. Uh, up here in Ontario, we're still languishing under. Um, I call Ontario now the land that time forgot because uh, we we look south to the United States and every, everyone uh, it seems to be opening up out there. We see you know uh, baseball stadiums filled to capacity, and uh, we have yet another uh, stay at home order into mid June. And uh, they're holding this carrot over our head that if we get, uh, they're doing, they're going to open up, they say, in phases. So the first phase, if 60% of the population is vaccinated, will give you a little bit of your normal back. If then in phase two, if 70%, you'll get a little sliver of your normal life back. And then finally, phase three, we need 80% uh, of you vaccinated. I mean, I, I don't want to argue the efficacy or the safety of vaccines and people want to have the vaccine. That's certainly their business. And those that don't, that's their business. But this this level of coercion, uh, you know, have we forgotten about the Nuremberg Code? I mean, how yes. can how can people have such short memories? Well, this is what bothers me about it, Richard, is is they are clearly tying this 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 uh, plan scandemic to basic fundamental human rights and and as you as you indicate it's it's a basic violation of them i mean my word your country was founded on on the recognition of these basic rights so was this one uh and of course the european countries and it's interesting to me that if if these vaccines were so safe why why are they resorting to such draconian measures to push people into receiving them. In fact, I think what you see happening in this country, to a certain extent, is a bit of backlash now, because they have pushed that agenda so hard, and it's been so in-your-face on all the national media and regional media and local media down here, and I'm sure it's probably the same up, up there in Canada, that there is now kind of a, a backlash and a reticence because I've, I noticed on, on my local news report about three days ago on, on the local radio station, they were complaining that the number of people getting vaccinated had sort of peaked and had stabilized. In other words, they're not seeing any increase in the numbers of people getting vaccinated. In fact, it's kind of fallen off. So now you have governors in various states in this country promising, uh, you know, $300 checks if you go get your vaccines and so on and so forth. So I'm thinking there's another agenda here besides just just the COVID virus. There's another agenda, and it's a social agenda. They want everybody hooked up into this system. Right, right. We have these uh, pop-up vaccine mm-hmm. uh, fairs, I guess, if you will, <laughs> you know, with balloons and hot dogs for the kitties and uh uh, in some places in in Canada, the, the children do not need parental consent. Uh, so someone can give your child a jab um, without you knowing about it first uh, beforehand. I, I just think this is absolutely outrageous. It is, uh, outrageous. you know, it's yeah. It is. I, I'm totally agreed with you there. And and we've had similar cases down here, Richard. So it's not confined just to Canada. 
Um, it, it, to me, it's totally outrageous. And again, what's the real agenda here? You know, what bothers me, Richard, and, and I, you know, I've tried to be low-key in my, in my response to people that have, have either urged the vaccine or talked about the vaccine or asked me if I've got one. And my answer is no. And, and I had a friend, uh, was over at a friend's about two weeks ago, and she had received it and asked me why I was so against them. And I said, well, you know, would you get on an airplane that had never been tested that the FAA approves the airplane for, for civilian air flight and exempts the company that makes the airplane from any liabilities if there are any adverse aeronautical events. Well, most people would say, no, of course not. But this basically, this is what we're being asked to do with these vaccines. These things have not been adequately tested. We're hearing stories already on, on the Internet from various doctors and so on who are who are very worried about the occurrence of prion diseases you know and and that's what they're calling it in their in their studies and literature but basically what they're really saying is mad cow disease and other neurological effects alzheimer's and so on and so forth so you know there's another agenda going on here richard and and the fact that they're they're opening this up for children to take it without parental consent this means there's something else going on. This this is not about COVID. You also, um, I, I believe this was in one of your more recent news and views from the Nefarium uh, podcasts or mm-hmm. vodcasts, I, I guess, or vidcasts. Uh, it had to do with the uh, one of the discoverers of the uh, uh, HIV. He isolated the um, yes human, uh, and 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 he. Uh, Nobel Prize winner from 2008, I think you, you mentioned, mm-hmm. and he is attributing these variants to the vaccine. Right, right. Tell me a little and, bit more about that. Well, you know, this is this was the suspicion that began to be raised when when they f- they first announced the nature of of some of these vaccines. Now, to be clear, not all of the vaccines are these messenger RNA vaccines, but the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines are. And what these vaccines do is they literally tell your your own body to produce the spike protein for the virus and in the hopes that this is going to stimulate the production of, of antigens to it. And the problem that many people had when they first announced what they were doing was that this will modify your DNA in some some form or fashion and that led almost immediately if you have been following the alternative literature on on the corona story on the on the internet this led almost immediately to some doctors positing well this these vaccines could cause variants they could perhaps even create them through the messenger rna and all of a sudden this is what we're seeing you know so Where does it stop? And just before we went on the air, I received an email from somebody saying that they're now proposing more nanotechnology injections to prevent the clotting that some of the vaccines are causing. Oh, (laughs) dear Lord. Yeah, I know. You know, where does this end? And this is my problem from the beginning, Richard, is the human body is a magnificently complex organism. 
And in our hubris, we have charged in with these messenger RNA vaccines and with no intergenerational long-term testing of their potential effects. This is what bothers me. This is the GMO story all over again. And we don't know what the long-term effects are going to be. We're already seeing some pretty bizarre and horrifying adverse reactions. And that's, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this is just the beginning of the story. So now we're going to make matters worse <laughs> by injection of more of the same, you know. I, I just don't get it. This, this is not the behavior of rational people. A couple of weeks ago, or certainly from the beginning, and it, but up until a couple of weeks ago, anybody who dared mention that uh, this uh, virus may have uh, been concocted uh, during gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Virology Lab, uh, they would have called that person a, you know, a crackpot and a conspiracy theorist. And then now we start to hear Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky uh, just raking Anthony Fauci over the coals in these uh, Senate committee hearings. It's, it's, it's not sounding so crazy anymore, is it? No, it's not sounding so crazy. Let's go back and remember that Dr. Fauci was doing this gain-of-function research back during the Obama administration, I think circa 2012, 2014, somewhere in there. And President Obama heard about it and actually shut that research down. He said it was too dangerous. So what did Fauci do? Well, he took it and he moved it to the Wuhan laboratory and funded it with, with federal funds. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he has a lot to be scrutinized for. And let's not forget that his wife is very chummy-chummy with, with Bill Gates. So there's yet another connection. So it's looking to me like they, you know, they have foisted a, what to my uh, analysis is a false narrative about the, the nature of this virus. There has been a number of papers questioning whether the virus is, was ever adequately even isolated and on top of that then we had all of the cdc and various countries playing with the numbers on this thing and now all of a sudden they have shifted gears and they are fiddling with the numbers again and as far as i'm concerned richard they are not reporting adequately the numbers of adverse re events i saw just before we came on the air a study of uh, comparison of the actual deaths from from flu vaccines which I think in the, in the case of the swine flu uh, vaccine craze a few years ago was somewhere in the 50s 50 deaths from the vaccines in the United States and they stopped the vaccines well Richard we've had over 3,000 deaths that that the mainstream media has admitted so far and they're, right. they, they keep admitting, uh, pardon me, they keep administering these vaccines to people. And some of the adverse reactions, Richard, just, just you know, they, they make your hair stand on end. Well, now That's the CDC is, is talking about uh, inflammation of the heart in, in yes. very young people. Well, Joseph, we'll take a, a time out, come back, discuss further, much to discuss. Uh, we're not going to go wall-to-wall -to -wall COVID uh, tonight, uh, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, you know, there's other, other equally pressing, perhaps, um, things to discuss, or maybe not equally, but uh, certainly important and uh, worth discussing. Joseph Farrell, 
my guest, uh, GizaDeathStar.com, the website. So many books, too many to mention. Uh, we'll touch on some of those as well. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Joseph Farrell, the uh, author of The Giza Death Star Deployed, Giza Death Star uh, Destroyed, The SS Brotherhood of the Bell, The Cosmic War, The Third Way, Covert Wars and Breakaway Civilizations, Hidden Finance, uh, just uh, on and on. 37 books now and counting. And uh, we're so delighted that uh, Joseph can stay with us for the entire two hours. And we will open up the phone lines probably towards the second, uh, the beginning of the second hour. Uh, and we'll also take your questions if you're in the uh, YouTube live chat. Please just fire away and Ryan will uh, sort of cultivate those or curate those, if you will, and uh, send those my way. And uh, I'll read those over the air, as many as we can. So uh, we were talking about or I was mentioning Senator Rand Paul and questioning uh, Anthony Fauci about this gain of research, or sorry, gain of function research. And we even heard from the uh, the Bat Lady, uh, who was doing the um, uh, Doctor Shi uh, Zhengli, I believe her name is. It was doing this uh, gain of function research. She's acknowledged it. She's mentioned, I think, specifically uh, Anthony Fauci and and, and the NIH. And, of course, Dr. Fauci's organization is under the auspices of the NIH. It seems like uh, – and, and if this is true, I mean, if it, if it happens to be true, we find out. I mean, does that not make Fauci culpable for this whole monstrosity? Well, unfortunately, uh, under any normally functioned system of justice, in my opinion, Richard, it would. But, unfortunately, you know – we're looking at the residue of, of several years of, of liability immunity for these pharmacy companies precisely on the subject of vaccine. And this, this is what ha- has happened with these vaccines. They've been, out, been brought out without normal uh, FDC testing procedures in this country and you know, specifically exempted from any liabilities. But yes, I, I certainly think it makes him culpable, and I'll go even further, uh, Richard, and say that, uh, and I'm sure it's probably true up there, uh, as it is down here, the, the mainstream profitainment media, as I like to call them, have basically shut out any discussion of the contravariant science to some of this stuff. In other words, you don't hear from the doctors that are questioning the vaccines themselves that are questioning the testing procedures that are questioning whether or not it was ever adequately isolated and so on and so forth those doctors are out there and they're out there in the hundreds if not thousands of people but there's been a kind of complete media blackout which is not surprising given you know that big pharma has so many commercials on those networks so as far as i'm concerned we're looking at media culpability for a lot of this stuff as well i would agree with you uh, complicit by their their silence. They're simply, and I've talked about this ad nauseum, I guess, on the radio, but they've, they've just been carrying the water for yep. uh, authority figures. And this is not, you know, what they're supposed to do in a, in a healthy uh, democracy. Um, I've talked to a number of economists, one, in fact, from Simon Fraser University, who just uh, uh, published kind of a meta-analysis of 80 other cost-benefit analysis analyses of uh the lockdown 
And uh, they all say the same, without exception, they all say the same thing. The the benefit of locking down is negligible at best. Yep. All you're doing is delaying mortality. But the costs uh, in terms of uh, uh, suicide, uh, mental health, obviously the economy itself, businesses lost, are, um, delayed surgeries, uh, and, and so forth, are incalculable. Mm-hmm. Like, w- we, we may not... We may not be able to survey this damage for some time and get a full a sort of a full scope of of the damage that's been done. And yet, as you say, the mainstream media is not interested in sp- speaking truth to power, to use that old cliche. That was that's that's what they used to do. It's interesting if you go back and and, and the, the way back machine on YouTube and watch 60 minutes with with Mike Wallace, say 30, maybe 40 years ago, the way he would grill people in big pharma vaccine manufacturers boy you, we don't see that anymore do we no we don't and this and i'm so glad you mentioned you know mike wallace in, in 60 minutes because that kind of journalism is all but absent anymore and you would think especially during a a you know a, a so-called pandemic that there would be a, an effort made at least to interview people that are questioning the narrative that's being put out there by by the healthcare authorities, and what's disturbing more even more to me, Richard, <coughs> pardon me, is that we've been hearing the mantra, you know, trust the science, trust the science, but the problem is we're being asked to trust only one narrative of that science. So, in other words, the other victim here with this pandemic is going to be science itself. Because science is not about authority figures. Science is about data and so on and so forth, actual hard results. And again, trust me, there is, there's a lot of, of data out there on the Internet for people willing to look for it. But that's the problem. They're, they're not looking for it, and in some cases, you know, they're being censored off of the Internet and so on and so forth. So this is not science. What they're erecting here is a so-called scientific priesthood that's going to pronounce all of this stuff safe. Well, you know, where where is the long-term intergenerational risk assessment and testing for these experimental vaccines? Answer, there is none. There is none. Well, they, they tried these mRNA uh, vaccines before, uh, and I'm remembering the animal studies, the, the ferrets, Yep. Uh, do you remember those studies with the ferrets and 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 then Very vaguely? The, but I I'm familiar. You know, I, you mentioned it, and I'm nodding my head because I I do remember those studies, but I don't remember much detail about them. Well, I mean, I guess the big picture was that uh, once they were then exposed to the the um, you know the wild virus, mm-hmm. each every single ferret in the study died. Each yep. every single ferret, and so they abandoned. Uh, the the, uh, the research in that, uh, and now here they are again, warp speed. And uh, um, anyway, it's um, it's 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 chilling what's going on. Uh, what other what what are the you know I, I look at it as a, as a beta test because the next time you know they'll they'll try and ram something else through uh, on us now that they've sufficiently beaten us down. It's like, you know, oh, please, you know, give me the vaccine. I don't care. I just give me the vaccine. I want my life back. But what else? What other what other agendas are at work here? Um, you know, whether it's, you know, the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. What do you see happening that's sort of being piggybacked um, 
onto this uh, this pandemic that that uh, whether it's social engineering or um, I don't know a, a new monetary system. What, what do you see happening? Well, I see I see all of that involved. In other words, I I'm like you. I view this, Richard, as a beta test, but it's a beta test of social engineering techniques. It's a beta test of distracting people from what's really going on. And for me, for me, the biggest part of this whole plan scandemic is is all of a sudden now we're talking about vaccine passports. You've got to have your passport or be able to show that you've been uh, vaccinated to go into a certain store or get on an airline or whatever. So in other words, that to me is the indicator that this is really about control. They want to lock down the population. They want to get them all you know, chipped or whatever it is they're doing with these vaccines. And they want to, you know, they they are making a huge push for a digital currency. And, and the way I'm looking at it is just like I said at the top of the hour. I think what they're really intending is to couple all of this into a social credit system with digital currency. Now, folks, I, you know, I, I'm echoing Catherine Fitz here. She and I have talked about this until we're blue in the face. But a digital currency of that nature tied to a social credit system is not a currency. It's a corporate coupon. And they can adjust the value of that coupon any time they wish. So in other words, be good little boys and girls, get your vaccines. So in other words, the response to this program is, I think, the beta test. How much of the population can we persuade to go along with this voluntarily? And the answer, I think, that they're getting is not as much as they thought that they would. Otherwise, we wouldn't see this this ratcheting up of uh, inducements and, you know, as you said, balloons and parties and offers of cash and so on and so forth to go out and take these vaccines. So, you know, the, the story or the narrative or the agenda, I think, is beginning to break down a little bit for them. Let's hope so. All right, Joseph, we'll uh, take a time out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Come back. And uh, so many things to discuss. So little time. Joseph Farrell, uh, GizaDeathStar.com, the website. News and views from the Nefarium. You can catch that on YouTube and also through the, uh, the website. Back with more of our discussion and uh, your calls and questions from the YouTube live chat as well. Stay with us. When you look at the sky... Ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. We're back with Joseph Farrell. And uh, we are just uh, kicking the can around on a lot of uh, different topics, or we will be. We've been focusing, obviously, on uh, the pandemic, the lockdowns, the vaccines, and so forth. The Great Reset. You may remember that I'm um, married to a, uh, a lovely Greek girl, and so you know we're constantly following what's happening over there in Greece. And their prime minister recently was doing some sort of a, a greeting on Twitter, and we noticed on his uh, desk in the background was a copy of Carl Schwab's Great Reset book. Mm-hmm. So what, in your estimation, is sort of the status of the Great Reset? Has the World Economic Forum uh, been successful in – I guess, putting whatever measures they have in mind in place? Or are they sort of playing defense now? Because as you mentioned, people are starting to rise up. I read uh, recently that uh, somewhere between 40 and 50 percent of people at the FDA and the CDC are not taking the vaccine for whatever reason. So is the World Economic Forum, are they back on their heels or are they pushing ahead with this great reset, whatever it is? 
Well, I think they're pushing ahead, but I think they're pushing ahead, Richard, out of desperation. In other words, you know, uh, it's it's the best off, the best defense is a good offense sort of strategy. But I do think that uh, some of the wheels have come off the cart, so to speak, during all of this. And you know, Schwab himself is is pressing even more heavily to get you know to get everybody vaccinated and so on and so forth. But Again, to me, this is the surest sign that we're dealing with really what is a financial and economic objective. And their their desperation is they want to hold on to power. That's, that's the bottom line. And it's coming off the rails, and they're clamping down, and they're in a hurry. And I view that with some optimism, because if you're, if you're that desperate and if you're that uh, committed to your agenda and you're in a hurry, you're going to make some very basic mistakes. And I think we're seeing them starting to make some of those mistakes because the hysteria has ratcheted up, particularly in this country, against those governors and, and city officials and so on that have basically said enough of this, you know, we're opening back up and so on and so forth. And the hysteria down here is <laughs> against some of these people is, is just kind of off the charts. But more and more people are are just openly defying uh, some of these lockdown orders. I know it's been going on up there in Canada. It certainly is going on down here in, in the United States. So I think you know I think Mr. Globaloni is acting increasingly desperate and hysterical. How much of the lockdown uh, has to do and the Great Reset is is about um, preparing people for this fourth industrial revolution, particularly robotics, artificial intelligence. And we've heard figures about job displacement in North America, something like 60 million workers. And this is not like a recession where the jobs disappear and then they come back. These are like 60 million jobs gone forever. And then we see, you know, uh, uh, people floating ideas of uh, guaranteed universal income, because, you know, what are these 60 million people going to do? Uh, they're going to sit on their hands, right? So is how much of, of what's going on is about is about pre- preparing us for basically a, a world without jobs? Well, I think a lot of it is, at least in their thinking. But I'll tell you something, Richard. There's something very peculiar going on in, in railroads. And, and people that know me know where I'm going to go with this. Because my dad was a railroad engineer, not you know, not the locomotive kind, but the engineer that inspects the tracks and so on and so forth. When I was very very young, and um, he got me fascinated with with steam locomotives. And if you've been following what's been happening with railroads in this country, the Union Pacific Railroad has been restoring steam locomotives at a breathtaking rate. They just finished restoration of an articulated uh, big boy steam locomotive, 4884, to, you know, haul freight and so on and so forth. Now, the interesting thing is Union Pacific isn't investing all this money to basically create a locomotive works in Cheyenne, Wyoming, to, to enhance railroad heritage days. There's something else going on. And my suspicion is that with the increasing reliance of, of global technology on digital systems, they've suddenly realized that they've exposed themselves and their, their precious systems to a little thing called electromagnetic pulse, or for that matter, hacking, cyber hacking, and so on and so forth. We just saw the Colonial Pipeline takedown. So I think, 
Mr. Globaloni is also kind of hoist by his own petard. They're trying to put in digital systems, and particularly digital currencies. So what you're seeing as pushback, at least here in the States, I can't speak for up there for the Canadian provinces, but in, in several states in this country, we've seen some pushback of a very unusual nature against this idea of digital currency. South Carolina passed a measure recently to acknowledge as legal tender for all transactions bullion coin. And interestingly enough, that, that legislation did not state that the coin had to be denominated in dollars. Texas opened its own state bullion depository and so on and so forth. So you're seeing some very unusual pushback that tells me that somebody, at least in some of these states, knows what the game is and they're acting accordingly uh, to, to secure some sort of basis for currency should they try to roll out a digital system with their helicopter money and the missing jobs and a universal basic income and so on and so forth. So you mentioned uh, the colonial pipeline. And uh, the the uh, cyber criminals that that effectively shut that down, and and caused uh, you know long lineups at the uh, the gas stations and so forth, and and uh, really kind of a I think a warning shot of things to come. Uh, and then then Colonial admits that they ended up paying five million dollars in ransom in cryptocurrency. Um, I, I think. We're probably not getting the full story here. What What are you hearing about what really happened? I mean, was this really just an isolated, you know, an incident of, of uh, some gang of cyber criminals that decided, you know, to roll the dice and see what would happen? And lo and behold, yeah, they paid up. I mean, what what, what are you hearing about this? Well, I've heard basically the same thing, but I'm like you. I don't think that we've heard all of the story. And one of the interesting things about the colonial thing that I don't know what, how it was reported up there, but some of the media down here was, re, was citing government officials and so on saying things to the effect that this is, there, there will be more of this. So, you know, are we looking at a false flag, you know, to prep people for more Internet uh, activity of that nature? I don't know. But, uh, you know, to me it's very suspicious. And Richard... About a week after that story broke, there was a story about the interstate bridge on Interstate 40 from Arkansas into Memphis, Tennessee. The bridge was shut down because they had discovered a crack in one of the pylons on that bridge. And I've seen pictures of this crack, and the top of the crack is is a perfect straight line. Now, the effect of that bridge shutdown was that barge traffic on the Mississippi River south and north of, of Memphis, Tennessee, came to an absolute standstill. So somebody appears to me to be working awfully hard to take down the, the infrastructure of, of the United States in, in these kinds of creative ways. So I think Colonial Pipeline is kind of the tip of an iceberg that, that they're getting ready to do something major in order to push their agenda. All right, another time out, and then back with more of my discussion with Joseph Farrell, your calls, and uh, we will start uh, taking some questions from the YouTube live chat. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarin. All right, Joseph, I'm just going to... 
wade into the uh, the YouTube live chat questions here. We have a smattering of good questions. St. Michael asks, Joseph, what about the Apollo? Oh, he wants to, uh, to go uh, secret space program, I guess, here, or uh, something related to uh, maybe the lunar landing hoax. Joseph, what about the Apollo 12 ascent stage experiment crashing into the lunar surface and it rang like a bell for a long period of time. Well, I don't know that it rang like a bell. You wouldn't hear it. If it did, it's it's uh, in space. You wouldn't hear that. So anyway, Joseph, any thoughts on the Apollo 12 ascent stage experiment crashing into the well, lunar yeah. surface? Uh, that individual is is actually citing the, the language of the scientists that, that uh, reported on that experiment. That was their words, that it rang like a bell. And what... what they're suggesting, and, and my thought is that it's partially due to the heavy metal content on the surface of the moon, because what the Apollo people discovered was there was a lot of very heavy metal. They found it very difficult to drill into the surface of, of the moon in some of those landing sites. And the other thing that it suggests is that the the moon itself is not of uniform content. There's uh, I don't want to use the word hollow because that's going to suggest all the wrong things to people. But there's uh, apparently areas of, of much less density in the moon that made it ring in that fashion. So in other words, it, it's uh, an experiment that connotes some regularity in the structure of the moon, which I find very interesting because you had... Uh, I think in the early 70s, I don't remember exactly when it was, but Sputnik magazine, the old Soviet uh, uh, periodical, published a set of articles by some Soviet scientists that actually had the thesis that the moon was a big, huge artificial spaceship because it was, you know, it was impossible to explain the physics of how it got there doing what it's doing on any of the natural models for, for its existence, you know, the capture model, the fission from Earth model, and so on and so forth. So I, you know, I give some credence to those stories and even to that theory because, you know, it's it's like uh, Isaac Newton said about the moon, the moon's the only thing that gives me a headache because he didn't really have a good way of explaining how it got there doing what it's doing. Right, right. Uh, John Porter asks, if the moon landing was a hoax, why didn't the Russians call our bluff? I, I mean, you know, if I'm if I'm understanding, you know, your work correctly, Joseph, you you think that it's not that we didn't land on the moon. It's that we got there, you know, much sooner than we've been told. Or am I wrong? Well, not a little of both. Um, I'm not a I'm not an Apollo hoaxer, but by the same token, I'm one of these people that thinks that perhaps we didn't get there and, and more importantly, get off of the thing in exactly the way we've been told. And my biggest problem with the, with the standard narrative, Richard, is, and, and again, I agree with your listener, the Soviets could easily have exposed it if they wanted to, if it was a hoax. So either they're going along with the hoax or there's something else involved here. To, to my thinking, Richard, if you look at those videos of uh, the lunar excursion module on the moon and then you see the, uh, the top part of it taking off from the moon, and I, I mentioned this as a kid. I was watching one of these things. I think it was Apollo 17 with my dad. You know, I'm sitting down out on the floor in the living room. My dad is smoking his pipe, and the lunar excursion module just sort of pops up and flies away at a more or less uniform velocity. 
And when I saw that, I turned around and looked at my dad and I said, rockets don't do that. You know, a rocket <laughs> accelerates geometrically per unit of time. So, you know, it starts slow and it gets faster. But this thing just sort of pops up and flies away. And when I when I saw that, that was kind of the beginning of, of an idea in my mind that perhaps they were using uh, some other technology other than a rocket on that lunar excursion module to get them off the moon. Uh, ah. So I that's my take on it. Uh, I think that there is perhaps some alternative technology involved in the Apollo missions. Uh, let's see. Someone had a question here, the, the old uh, chestnut about the Van Allen belts. Oh, it's uh, YY. Uh, how did the astronauts pass through the Van Allen belts uh, two times without being burned to a crisp? <laughs> well, the problem, this is, this is an old saw. Uh, let's look at the Van Allen belts. Radiation exposure is, you have to be exposed over a prolonged period of time to certain levels of radiation to get sick. Now, I've never been convinced that their journey to the moon was sufficient to expose them to that kind of radiation, but let's assume that it was. There are other ways to get to the moon because the Van Allen belts, if you look at them, are open at the poles. So my other problem with Apollo is did the, did the um, trajectory, did the telemetry of the flight actually go through those holes and the other problem is, is if you are accepting, as I do, the idea that there is perhaps some sort of exotic technology involved in getting us there, that technology could conceivably have been used as shielding to uh, the Van Allen radiation. So there's, you know, there's many explanations for it, but you have to make a, a long series of assumptions, you know, to to. Uh, to explain some of these mysteries, just as you have to make a long series of assumptions to believe in the ho the Apollo hoax theory. All right. Solar Warden asks, Joseph, what's your take on all the UFO converge and supposed disclosure coming? More of the same letter agencies controlling the narrative? So June 1st, of course, we're expecting, uh, well, I'm not, my expectations are quite low. We're supposed to, you know, hear something from the Pentagon vis-a-vis -vis, uh, UFOs and so forth. What's your take? Are we in for another big disappointment here on June 1st? I suspect so. Um, my, I, I'm with you. You know, my expectations are rather low. Uh, but that said, if you look at the space stories in the last few years, it appears to me that they've been trying to carefully prepare narratives for people. Uh, we had, you know, we've had the asteroid threat narrative back during the Chelyabinsk meteor incident, and then all of a sudden that morphed over the next couple of years into, well, we've got to go out and explore all these asteroids and mine all these asteroids. And that, to me, was a huge clue because this was occurring a few years after the financial meltdown of 2008 and the bailouts. And during that period, we were told that the, the amount of derivatives sloshing around in the world financial system was somewhere between 14 and 17 quadrillion dollars which is several times the gross domestic product of the entire planet. So all of a sudden we start hearing about asteroid mining, and all of a sudden we find our uh, asteroids out there 
whose uh, mineral worth has been calculated to be, oh, magically, somewhere between 14 and 17 quadrillion dollars. (laughs) Imagine that. Yeah, imagine that. And this is a nice, convenient way, you know, to wipe out all that bad paper on the books. Uh, so that's the other thing. And now, you know, we're we're hearing about ETs, and supposedly the Pentagon is releasing all of these videos, and the New York Times is writing stories about it, and people are getting all excited. And the fact of the matter is, this is not the first time the New York Times or the Washington Post have written about UFOs. They've written about them for, for decades. Uh, so I suspect we're either in for a big nothing burger or... They're going to use this uh, upcoming quote-unquote disclosure event to prep some sort of narrative regarding space, and that's that's my that's my bet. All right, we'll uh, take a time out here at the uh, top of the hour. Come back one more hour with Joseph Farrell. We'll take more questions from the YouTube live chat and open up the phone lines. 